We're going to look at Matthew chapter 13 this morning. Matthew 13. Once again. In Matthew 13, we find three more stories or parables. And the stories that we're going to look at this morning are all about growth. There's a story about the growth of wheat and weeds out in a field. And then there's the story of the growth of a mustard plant. And then there's the story of the growth and the expansion of bread as a result of the yeast and the leaven that's in the bread. And each of these stories is given to us by our Lord Jesus to give us an illustration of the growth of something else, the expansion of something. That is the unifying theme here. And in this case, the expansion and the growth is the growth of verse 24. You see it there? The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed that grows. Verse 31, you'll see it again. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that grows. Or verse 33. Once again, it is the kingdom of heaven that is like leaven that grows and expands in this lump of dough. So I want to preach to you this morning about the growth or the expansion of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God taps into Old Testament promises that are so grandiose that they demand prophetic fulfillment beyond their day. In the prophets, the Lord promised a great and glorious age to come in which God's kingdom would be manifest. And he made promises to David, you know King David, like this, that I will establish your throne, your dominion, your kingdom forever. You see why I say he's looking beyond merely David himself or even his earthly descendants. This is an everlasting, eternal kingdom that has no end. He says to Isaiah, it will be a kingdom of justice and righteousness, a kingdom of peace and prosperity, and of its increase, there will be no end. It'll just keep growing and growing and expanding. He said to Daniel that the kingdom would be like a huge cornerstone of a city wall that's quarried without human involvement. And this big stone will come and crush all of the kingdoms of man. And then that stone will grow and expand until it becomes a mountain that fills up the entire earth. 
The prophets predicted a king who would sit on that throne, a king of unprecedented authority and goodness and wisdom. In fact, Isaiah says it would be nothing less than the reign of God with us. Isaiah and Malachi predict that God would send a messenger ahead of that king to prepare the way for this great ruling age that he will bring. Now Matthew, when he begins his gospel, and if you've been in the series for a while, we've seen it together, haven't we? Matthew says that when John the Baptist came onto the scene, he came preaching, listen, the reign of heaven is near. The king is here. Prepare the way for his lordship. That was John's message. And so the king came into the world. But the king came to reign over his enemies. And his strategy for conquering his enemies was unlike the strategy of any king before him, where he would conquer his enemies in this upside-down kingdom by laying down his life for them. He suffered so that they might enter into the realm of peace and joy. And his sacrifice so melts their hearts that they fall down before him out of love and loyalty as they enter into his kingdom. Ironically, it's only through his death that his kingdom is established. And after his death, he is raised, he is ascended, and then he is we are told, enthroned in heaven on the throne of God. The very throne of God becomes the throne of this resurrected Messiah. And His loyal followers live by faith in that sovereign, though they do not see Him. Because His enthronement, remember, is in where? It's not on earth, it's it's in heaven. His enthronement is invisible to all but spiritual eyes to see the signs. His enthronement is in another dimension, if you will, and yet more real than any earthly reign that you could ever have imagined. And today, right now, that king is exercising his rule for the good of his subjects. And his loyal followers are living in faith, looking to that invisible sovereign, and they follow his directives, and they defend his honor, and they spread his fame, and they live by his values Calvin said that the job of Christ's subjects is to make the invisible kingdom visible by the way that they act and live and work and worship. And this they do until the day of unveiling. 
until the day of revelation, until the day when that invisible kingdom is made visible for all to see, until God lifts the veil, as it were, so that everyone is able to see into that other dimension in which Christ is already ruling and reigning. And when that king appears, then all that is invisible will in that day be made manifest so that the kingdom of God is an all-encompassing motif that runs through the entirety of the Scriptures. And that kingdom, Jesus illustrates. Now see how it grows. That's the theme today. The kingdom grows. It expands. Let's read the text beginning with verse 24. Matthew chapter 13. He, that is Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said, An enemy has done this. So his servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. All right, here's the second story, verse 31. He put another parable to them before them, uh, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And then verse 33, he told another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. This is yeast, right? Kind of... Uh, a leavening agent, similar to yeast, um, until the whole thing was all leaven, he says. Verse 34, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So here we have three very simple stories. They're not very hard to understand, I don't think, on a on a surface level, let me just uh, make a couple comments here. Um, so you have the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And people have long surmised that the weeds or the tares, if you're using the King James, the weeds or the tares are probably darnel, which looks a lot like wheat when it's first growing. Uh, but eating the grains of the darnel plant even after it's baked, it could be ground and made into flour and baked into bread, just like the, the wheat can. 
but if you eat it, it has a kind of intoxicating effect, and sometimes people get nauseous and dizzy and even have hallucinations and and, and have even been known to die uh, from eating this poisonous uh, plant. Actually, scientists think that it's actually a fungus that grows on the plant that that's actually what uh, causes this toxicity. And for centuries, actually, people uh, have found this uh, weed tainting their wheat harvest until uh, only really very recently that modern agriculture has found a way to sort uh, the, uh, the grains so that, that the darnel doesn't get in there. In fact, so there are a few African countries today that uh, still have to work very hard to keep this weed out of their good wheat supply. But the landowner has some enemies, has an enemy who comes and sows, intentionally sows this weed in amongst the good wheat in order to spite him, uh, which was not an unknown thing in those days. Uh, In fact, there were Roman laws that were discovered that specifically condemned people who would sow darnel in the fields of their competitors in order to spite them. At the end of the parable, Jesus says the servants come once they recognize that as the plants begin to grow that there's some weeds in the midst. They say, should we go in and remove them? And that becomes kind of the key question Uh, in this parable and its application for us. Because the answer that Jesus gives, or the answer that the Master gives, is don't remove them. Let them stay and grow up, lest you root out the wheat along with the weeds. And of course, by the time the darnel has grown enough to be able to easily, at least, tell the difference between it and the wheat, the roots are already down in the ground and and intertwined and everything. And so he says, let them grow together. So that's the first parable. The second one doesn't take much explanation. Uh, The mustard plant. Um, The point of this parable, obviously, is the incredible growth here, right? The point is that it's one of the smallest seeds agriculturally, and yet it produces the largest plant in the whole field. And uh, the, uh, the eastern black mustard could get eight, ten feet tall, which is uh, uh, a pretty big uh, garden plant or field plant. Uh, Jesus exaggerates to call it a tree even. And then you have the story, finally, of the leaven in the flour, right? And the leaven makes the whole lump of dough rise. And you've all seen that if you've made bread and you've put it in this bowl that you think is big enough and by the time you come back the end of the day it's overflowing the sides and all over your countertop, right? It just grows, it expands. If the first parable stretches by calling the mustard seed a tree uh, or the mustard plant a tree, then this one has the woman baking three measures of flour which uh, most people think is about 50 or 60 pounds of flour. You imagine going to the grocery store, you buy flour in, what is it, five pound, you know, the big five pound sack. 
and buying 12 of those and mixing that all together and how much dough that would make. So they say it would probably make enough to feed 100 or 150 people. She could feed a whole town with this. And of course, the point in each one is, is almost exaggerated to, to, to highlight the incredible growth potential that's here. Um, in fact, that, that is going to characterize, Jesus says, um, the kingdom of heaven. All of this rising from just a little leaven that's worked in to the dough in secret. Notice he, he, he uses the term that she hid the dough. It's kind of an unusual way to say it, isn't it? She hid the, she hid the leaven inside the dough. Kind of like the invisible kingdom of heaven in the midst of the very visible world that everybody else sees. This is down deep inside, and it's going to affect it all. So there's three stories. And, uh, and the three stories, I think, really make two basic points. Two truths that we're supposed to take away from these three stories. Two important and balancing truths about the nature of the kingdom of God. Uh, the first is illustrated by the second and third stories here, the two little short ones, right? The mustard plant and the leaven. And the first truth is this, that the kingdom of Christ will grow. It will grow imperceptibly at first, but by the end, its spread will be dramatic. The kingdom of Christ will expand. It starts so small, but it grows into a global kingdom. You plant a tiny seed into the ground, and those of you who have done much gardening, you plant the seed in the ground, and you water it, and when you were a little child, you stood there and waited for it to grow, right? You stared at the ground, waiting for that little seed to sprout. And you did that for maybe 20 or 30 minutes, I don't know, maybe 5 or 10 minutes, and you got tired of waiting. Maybe you went inside and asked your mom, when is the, when's, the pl- when's the tomato going to be ripe? She said, you're going to have to what? You're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. You plant this little tiny seed in the ground, not much seems to happen, and days pass. That little seed is so small, so insignificant. In fact... You plant it in the ground and and it dies. But when it finally springs to life again, you just get the little tiniest green shoot sticking up out of the ground. But from such a little seed comes the biggest crop in the whole field, the biggest plant in the garden. Jesus' disciples looked around at the crowds that were following Jesus. Right, This parable is supposed to help them now. They look around at the crowds who have been following Jesus, and as Jesus continues to preach and teach, the crowds begin to fall away, fall away, quit listening, don't want to have any more to do with Him, until at the end, He's really down to just a little band of followers, isn't He? And Jesus says to them in this parable, just wait, just be patient, sow the seed and the kingdom will grow. And of course, it's, it's he that's sowing the seed. 
right? But he's also doing it through his disciples. So the seed and the kingdom will grow, Jesus said. And listen, this is literally exactly what you and I have been witness to for the last 2,000 years. The kingdom of Christ goes from a little band of 120 people gathered in an upper room to now almost 2.5 billion people who name the name of Christ in this world. This is exactly what our Lord said would happen. Of course, not all of those are truly His disciples, but the growth has been staggering nonetheless. Or to put it in the terms of the other parable, like the leaven in the flour, at first the kingdom, the kingdom of Christ is invisible. It's hidden from the wise and the mighty and from those who have no ears to hear and no eyes to see it. But like the writer of Hebrews says, Moses endured by looking to the king who was invisible. And that kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, grows and, and like that leaven until it transforms the entire loaf and it has an effect on everything around it. In other words, Jesus is telling these parables to teach this, that God's purpose will reach its ultimate fulfillment in triumph. Zechariah chapter 4, God tells Israel who are going back into Judah to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple. He says to them, don't despise the day of small things. That's what Jesus is telling His disciples now. Don't despise that little seed, that little bit of leaven, because that's going to grow and expand. The kingdom of God will grow and expand like that stone that becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth, like the river that flows out of the holy temple, that as it flows without any additions to it, it becomes deeper and broader and wider until it brings life to the world. Or like the temple of God that we see throughout the Scripture seems to grow in scale until it becomes a whole city of vast proportions by the time you come to the book of Revelation. In other words, friends, I think this. We have reason to be optimistic about the Gospel. We have reason from our Lord... And even from history now, as we look back in hindsight, we have reason to be optimistic about the advancement of the gospel. The spread of the gospel into hard, closed countries. The ability of the gospel to transform hearts and lives and individuals and families and societies and cultures even. Our mission to see the kingdom encompass men and women from every ethnic group on the planet, we have reason to be optimistic about this. Don't forget these parables. The kingdom starts small 
but it grows. And it's done that throughout the course of history. And it's done that in particular peoples and cultures. And it's done that in the hearts of individuals. As we witness and we plant the seed. And there seems to be almost imperceptible growth. And then in time their whole lives are transformed. The gospel, Jesus says, is going to expand. The kingdom is going to advance. No one will stand in its way. Right? The light has come into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell, what? Will not withstand it. My kingdom will advance right into the territory of the enemy. Take his territory away from him the people will be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Jesus said it's going to happen. We've seen it happen. We are seeing it happen. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged about this. Be optimistic about the growth of the kingdom of Christ. You know, we look around and sometimes we see in our little, small, immediate circles the gospel not seeming to do very much. But lift your eyes beyond that and set your mind on these things that Jesus taught us in these illustrations and lay your hope in the Word of Christ. Because those who hope that way faithfully plant the seed because they know that it's going to grow. And there may be some ground that doesn't respond like we saw last week or some ground where the seed seems to take off and then it shrivels away. But in some that is good ground, the seed will take root and it will grow and it will expand and it will keep growing until the birds of the air can come make their homes there. That's the first lesson. The second one is this. And the second one comes from the first parable. But I saved it to last because Jesus doesn't give the explanation until last. Let's read that in verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. Are you with me? Matthew 13, 36. He went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. That's the Lord Jesus. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. So he sort of gives us a glossary to be able to read that story. Some of you already had the glossary in your mind ahead of time. And so as you read the story, even already the meaning was becoming apparent to you. But now verse 40, Jesus makes the point. He says, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The point here has something to do with the end of the age. He says, verse 41, The Son of Man, at that time He will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin 
and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The second lesson is this. Not only will the kingdom of God grow and expand, but the second lesson is that throughout this age, the growth of the kingdom of heaven will take place alongside or in parallel with the growth of the kingdom of darkness until the age to come. Throughout this age, the growth of the kingdom of heaven will take place alongside or in parallel with the growth of the kingdom of darkness until the age to come. This parable um, here is not about the mixed nature of the church, though there are inevitably some unbelievers in churches. Jesus gives us the key when he says that the field is the what? The field is the world. In other words, now we are talking about the kingdom of God in the broadest sense. In the sense in which the psalmist said in Psalm 103.19 that God rules over all. The whole world and all that's in it. Jesus says the field is the world. And yet in God's world... Believers and haters of God continue to exist side by side. And both, Jesus says, will grow up together. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. The sons of the kingdom and the sons of the evil one. It will not be until the very end of this age that the Lord Jesus sends His angels to separate the wheat from the weeds. God's children will be gathered into God's presence to shine forever in reflection of the glories of God. And the sons of the evil one, he says, will in the end time judgment be cast into the fiery furnace of hell where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, there are two eternal destinies that await. And the destiny that awaits those who reject the testimony of the Spirit those who reject the revelation of God, those who rebel against the Son of God, Jesus Himself likens their eternal fate to being cast into a fiery furnace. There are only two destinies. You know, um, those of you who are in Sunday school, We saw that Mormon theology teaches that there are multiple levels between heaven and hell, as it were. Jesus and the whole Bible 
take a very binary approach. That you are for Christ or you are against Him. That's just, that's by default. It's not like you woke up one day and you decided, I'm going to be anti-Christ. No, we are by default anti-Christ. Unless we humble ourselves and confess our rebellion and find mercy from the Lord, we will all be judged. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I want to put before you this question, where will you spend eternity? Have you come to a settled assurance about that? Do you have a Bible hope? If you're unclear about where you stand before God, I hope and I pray that you will, even right now, call out to Him and ask Him to save you. For Jesus' sake, confess your sins. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He will lift you up. Put your hope all in the good Lord Jesus, the one who pleased the Father in every respect. And God may give to you the righteousness of Jesus Christ for your very own. That when you stand before God, you will be brought by those angels into His presence and be safe in His eternal glory forever. Listen, what you do right now, your own hearts, your own mindset right now has eternal consequences. So, this parable teaches that something in addition to what we saw before, not only will the, the, the kingdom of Christ grow, but alongside of it, in parallel to it, the kingdom of darkness will also grow until the end when the Lord makes a final separation in the judgment that is to come at the end of this age. Now, I think it's helpful, I think it's important, actually, that we keep both of these truths together. You know what two truths I'm talking about, right? The two main points here. That we keep them together. Christ is warning us against a naively optimistic view of end times. Now, we should be optimistic because the kingdom grows. And in the end, the harvest is safe in the barn. None of it is lost. But we must not be so naive as to think that there will come a day when the whole world is Christianized before Christ returns. I say, I think that's Part of why these two parables are together like this. 
there is a golden age of righteousness that dawns. It is referred to throughout the Scriptures as the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwells what? Righteousness. A world of righteousness and glory. And in one sense, I have to say this, that new creation is already here. It's like the age to come through Jesus has already penetrated back into this age in those who recognize His kingship and His reign. The kingdom of Christ, the new heavens and the new earth, is already here, I say, visibly, uh, excuse me, invisibly inaugurated so that we are those upon whom the Bible says the end of the ages have, has come. And yet, that new heavens and new earth are not yet visibly consummated, brought to their full visible reality in their appearing. And so, Revelation 21, for example, says that the new heavens and the new earth, in the new heavens and the new earth, there is no more death, no more curse, and no more sin. We're waiting. Your kingdom come. So on the one hand, we are to be confident that the kingdom of heaven is growing, that it's going to fill the whole earth, that it changes people and families, and societies, and even nations in the grace of God. Right now, in this world, it's doing that. But we're not just, friends, we're not just all sitting around waiting for the world to get worse and worse until Jesus kind of comes in and snatches us out to be rescued. The new creation has dawned, and the gospel we have seen shape much of Western civilization. And it is no coincidence that it is those societies that are most shaped by the gospel where science and medicine and charity and justice and freedom have flourished historically. The kingdom is growing. But we should also know that the kingdom of Satan is growing alongside it. Right There's the wheat, but there are the weeds. So we should be ready to persevere in suffering. We should be ready to be a minority at times. We should ready to be ready to even be persecuted for the sake of Christ. That we should not lose hope when we see evil flourish, as if this is some strange thing that is happening to us, as the writer of First Peter says. We're waiting, ultimately, friends, for our blessed hope, which is the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Then all things are made new, which are even now being made new. So on the one hand, we do not, we must not sit back and isolate ourselves from the world since, well, it's all going to burn up anyway. 
The kingdom is growing and it is being lived out in this world as we speak. Your labor is not in vain if you do it in the Lord. Whatever you labor in, if you do it as unto the Lord, it's not in vain. So be a part of that growing kingdom by witnessing to the life-changing power of the gospel, by telling your friends and neighbors about Jesus Christ and see God change hearts. And then by living out the kingdom every single day by doing your work as unto the Lord, the King. What if you did all you do every bit of what you do as unto the Lord, seeing Him who is invisible. You change the way you work, the way that you raise your family, the way that you vote, the way that you spend your money, the way that you create. But on the other hand, you see me going back and forth here, right? On the other hand, let me say, that we must not be overwhelmed when Christianity begins to fade in our society or come under attack. Nations come and nations go, right? But Christ's kingdom will not fail. And in the end, Christ will judge all those who still yet stand in opposition to His rule and reign. And so we can look out at our world and sing that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. Amen? You pray with me. Oh Lord, we have sought to faithfully understand these parables. Please work the significance of them into our own hearts to give us stability, to give us hope, that we may think rightly so that we live rightly, Lord, please. In Christ's name, amen.